We're in Mark chapter 3. I just want to read. We're in verse 7 through 12. Verse 7 says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and the multitudes from Galilee followed him. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, and the regions around the Jordan and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples, hey, go get a small boat ready for me to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Verse 11, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. We're in this kind of collection of talks. We're in the book of Mark. And, and my challenge, if you missed last week or you're not really caught up to speed on, on what we're doing as a church, is every Sunday we're going to jump into the next chapter in the book of Mark. And then my challenge for our church is to spend every day that following week reading that chapter and then dissecting it. And so we've got this soap model. So I'm going to throw this up here in case you missed it last week. You can write it down. You can take a picture of it. This is a method of, of studying God's word that I'm challenging and equipping our church to use. We're going to read the chapter and then we're going to say, God, what scripture? What scripture do you want me to, to look at today? Or maybe as you read, something jumped out at you and caught your eye. Maybe it was one word, maybe it was a verse, maybe it was a few verses. And then from that scripture, you begin to break it down. You go, what are some observations that I have about this? Like sometimes it's just real tangible physical observations like, oh, they're by a lake or, oh, they need a boat or, or something like that. But other times there's deeper observations that you'll pull out of the scripture. And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we apply it to our life? Like, this is the piece that changes everything, right? Because this book, the Bible, the, the only book that reads us as we read it, every piece of it can be applied to our life. And if we're not asking ourselves, God, how do I apply your scripture? How do I apply your word? How do I apply the truth to my life? Then we're going to find ourselves being led astray by all the opportunities that the world gives us to be led by something other than God's word. And then after we apply it, we're going to end our quiet time. We're going to end our time in God's word with prayer. And sometimes it's asking God to give us the strength to apply the scripture to our life. Other times it's actually praying the specific scriptures over our life or over our situation. And so today I'm just touching a few verses and uh, I, I read chapter 3 every day last week while also soaping through chapter 2 with you guys as a church. And, and there was so much stuff in here that I was like, man, I could go like six different directions with this message. And, and then I just got a moment where I sat still in the presence of Holy Spirit and I said, I want to go deeper. Like, I don't want just the words that are on the page. Show me something that's unique. Show me something that's different in this passage that most people aren't going to see at first. And then I just sat and listened and I read chapter three over and over and over again. And it was probably, I don't know how many times, it was probably like the 27th time of reading the chapter. Verses seven through 12 jumped out at me. And so what I want to do is I want to break this down for us. 
And, but I want to continue to challenge you throughout this week to get into the chapter, to study God's word, and to ask him to reveal some of this truth to you on your own. Because I want to tell you all something. There's nothing special about me. Like sometimes I have people come up to me after a message, and they're like, man, how'd you get that revelation? I spent time with the Holy Spirit. And you can do the exact same thing. And I can't wait for the day where I start getting phone calls and texts. I got one last week. One of y'all reached out and said, Pastor, did you see this in Mark 2? Like, this was mind-blowing. And guess what? I, I actually never saw it from that perspective before. And, and I, I love to hear how God is speaking to his bride. Verse 7 through 12 jumped out at me because right here when we read this, I immediately began to see three distinctions jump out. There's actually three different types of people that we see in just these five verses. And I actually would like to call this the three different responses to Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your response to Jesus? Because in this passage alone, we get just a glimpse of what I'd call the three responses to Jesus. And every single person Every single one of you in this room, every single one of you joining us online, every single person who walks on the face of this earth falls into one of these three categories. Your first response to Jesus is the committed response. Here in Mark 3, we would see this group referred to as the disciples. Verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples. Verse 9 says, because of the crowd, he told his disciples. That these are the committed people, the followers of Jesus who have responded to him with a commitment. At this point, these would have been Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, who's called Matthew. They've not only met Jesus, but they've also answered the call to be his followers. We see this in Mark 1 and 2 and in the other Gospels. But it's important to note, they don't just make a decision to follow Jesus. They actually offer their life in service for him. Like if we looked at every single one of these men at this point who have said yes to following Jesus, they were working at their jobs when Jesus came by and said, follow me, and they left everything to go follow him. Can I tell you what they didn't do? They didn't go tell their boss, hey, can I get a severance package for six months because I'm going to go follow this dude named Jesus? It actually doesn't even say they went home and told their family where they were going. Many moments, it actually just says immediately. They stopped what they were doing and they followed him. They're not just saying yes to Jesus. They're offering their life as a service for him. And we see this come true in Mark 3, 9 when Jesus says, hey, will you go get the boat for me? They go get the boat. They do what Jesus asked them to do. And then later on in Mark 3 and verses 13 and 14, Jesus actually begins to commission them to go preach the gospel as they're doing ministry hand in hand. Like these are the people that aren't just like, I'm going to come forward at the altar when I'm nine years old and then I'm going to go live my life how I want. No, I'm coming forward to the altar and Jesus changed my life and now 
about all of my life, every decision I make, every word I say is in pursuit of him. They're committed. This is a response that says, Jesus, I'm all in. And so what does this application look like today? Well, just like that, Lord, I'm all in. Everything I have, everything I am, I am all yours. Today, the committed, these are the people who would make up the kingdom of God. These are the people we would call the children of God. Notice how I did not say these are the people who sit in a church. Hmm. Y'all know that cliche saying, right? Just because you sit in a garage don't mean you a car. Just because you sit in a church don't mean you a Christian. Like I was actually studying on my own this week and I was reading of a story where Jesus was casting out a demon inside of church. Like inside of a church service. He, he wasn't doing it outside. He wasn't doing it at the drug addict's house. No, he was doing it in a church service. What does that tell me? That there are people that might be in this very room that need deliverance. There are people in this very room that need salvation. And so we've got to understand, church, just because we're seated in the chair this morning or watching online does not mean that we're a committed follower of Jesus. It just means you're going to church. Because a true relationship with Jesus requires much more than your church attendance record. And next week, this room's going to be empty because y'all are like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. <laughs> but the Bible also says, let us not forsake our gathering together as his bride. And there's something powerful that happens when the church does come together in unity and believes for the impossible. This committed group today are people who live in daily repentance, completely surrendered to Jesus, and are living in obedience to his word. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to be a committed follower of Jesus, because I'm far from that. And that's why the repentance piece is so powerful, because it's recognizing that even in my imperfections, I've got a repentant heart to go right back to Jesus. This is what it sounds like when you submit to Jesus as a committed follower. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I tell you, that's called the Great Commission. And that was not just given for the pastors. That was given to every single person who says yes to Jesus Christ. So how do we live as a committed follower? Well, we allow God to transform our character. I've said it this way, you don't have to change to follow Jesus, but following Jesus will change you. One of the ways that it will change you is as you pursue Jesus more, your character should begin to align with his character. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. I, I want you to see this. Faith is the beginning of this conversation 
that I'm about to read. Faith is the foundation of what I'm about to read. It's not just enough anymore to say that I believe in God. My question for the church is, does your character reflect the nature of Christ? Because listen to these words. Make every effort to add faith, to add to your faith goodness, and to add to goodness knowledge, and to add to knowledge self-control, and to add to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Is faith simply by itself alone enough? No. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Love is the root of everything. And just like we sang that song, if your motivation to follow Jesus is not your love for him, then you've lost sight of what it truly means to be a committed follower of him. We don't just allow God to transform our character, but it actually begins to transform our service. Or another way you could say that is just simply our lifestyle. The choices we make, the decisions we make. 1 Peter 4.10 and 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. For if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. To be a committed follower of Jesus means submitting to the discipleship of him and allowing him to transform your character, but also your action should be a reflection of that. That's why James would say faith without action is dead. And sometimes we can misrepresent that or we can misread that and we can think, well, I've got to do all of these things to get into heaven. No, you don't. But can I tell you something? Your love for Jesus should compel you to do all of those things. You're not doing them to please God. You're doing them to serve God because you love him. And when you do it out of a love for him, guess what? You're not the one getting the glory. He is. And so everything we do as committed followers of Jesus is simply to give him the glory, the honor, and the praise that he is so deserving of. This is the response of the disciples. And people are responding to Jesus in this way today. But if there's more than one response, 
In Mark chapter 3, we know there's more than one response today. Because if you're not one of the committed, here's where you may find yourself. You may find yourself with the curious response. This is actually where I had my light bulb moment with the Holy Spirit. Because I read verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and the multitudes from Galilee followed. Other translations would describe it as a large crowd or, or a large number of people. And I began to think, why is, it, why is there a distinction between the disciples and the crowd? And that's when I began to realize that there's many in the group who are following Jesus who actually aren't yet committed to him. They're really just curious. They've heard that, oh, this guy can perform miracles. Oh, this guy can open blind eyes. Oh, this guy says that he has the power to forgive sins. And so curiosity is driving them to follow them. And so they'd actually follow Jesus from place to place, but they're actually not yet true disciples. And as we see throughout the Gospels, many of the curious would actually follow Jesus until. There was this moment. They'd follow Jesus until he brought a message they didn't agree with. Until they felt convicted. Until he said something that offended them. And I know this to be true because in John 6, we see this, that Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then the Bible says many actually left after that. Like they were curious. They showed up. They saw the miracle they wanted to see. And then they said, all right, that's pretty cool. But that's not for me. See you later. Not only in John 6, but in Luke 25, Jesus brings a message about true discipleship. And now if you want to be a follower of me, you've got to pick up your cross every single day. And the Bible says many in the crowd left after hearing this message. Why? Because their comfortable, curious approach to the Son of God is not enough. And yes, some of the curious would eventually take up the challenge say yes and go all in as a disciple of Jesus. But for the majority that we see in the Gospels, they were simply fans. They weren't followers. You know, sports is a, a rather interesting idol in our country. And, and I say it's an idol because we read the Bible and we think that idols are golden statues that we bow down to because that's what it looked like at their time. But I'm telling y'all, idols don't look the same today. And sports in America is an idol. But I find it interesting because there's two different types of people when it comes to sports. There's fans and there's followers. You know the difference? Hey, who won the game last night? The Chiefs did. Here's how you know if they're a follower. Who scored the touchdowns? Oh, Rashi Rice. Oh, really? What's his number? Four? Is that right? Okay, cool. I'm right. <laughs> they, they know every, like, I, I'm mind blown. Like, some of, some of the people I talk to, like, they have the entire roster memorized, even the practice squad. 
Like the guys that don't even ever get to see the field or see a Sunday game like dressed up. Like it's such an interesting idol. But I want to tell you, church, if we're not careful, we can actually see those two distinct groups of people in our church today. We've got fans of Jesus and we've got followers of Jesus. We've got people that are just curious and looking on the outside and wondering, like, I'm not really sure if this is for me. And then we've got the group that sold out for Jesus. Here's what this sounds like today if we were to apply it to today and how we respond to Jesus. Here's how a curious response would sound. Well, I, I occasionally visit church, you know, to say hi to God. But like my church is kind of like nature. Like I, I look out and I see the sky and I see the horses and I'm like, man, God's so good. But I, I mean, or maybe it's this. I, I kind of tend to church hop because I just I don't know what, what's the right church for me. And it, it's weird because once I'm in a church long enough, then people begin to know my baggage and I'm held accountable. And I don't like accountability. So then I go find a new church where no one knows my problems. I, I, I actually like to call these people tire kickers. And American churches are full of them. They'll just come by and kick the tire and go, yeah, she's working all right. But if it's flat, they don't do a dang thing to fix it. They just complain about it. The, these are the kind of people that show up to church and they appear as followers, but they're actually never truly committed. They don't ever tithe to the church, but they ask the church to help them when they're in need. They don't ever serve in the church, but rather they want the church to serve them and make its decisions that best serve their needs. Now, why would someone do this? Well, some actually attend to appease their conscience because at some point in America, the idea of going to church meant you were a good person. Or you want to look like you're the good person. But there's no full commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just read ahead to Mark 16, 15, and 16 this week. And I know this to be true because right after the ascension of Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, after he commissions the disciples to go build the first church, in Acts 17, we see the curious response for the very first Time. The Apostle Paul is preaching to the Athenians. And Acts 17, 32 says this, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. And others said, We'd like to hear more on this subject later. That's the curious response to Jesus. Oh, it's kind of making me uncomfortable right now, but I, I, I'd actually like to hear a little bit more about this guy later. Oh, you're talking about heaven and hell. Well, I'm only 15 years old, so I'm not going to die anytime soon. So I, I, I'll get right with Jesus later. Or maybe it's in Acts 24, verse 25 where we meet a governor, Felix, and Paul's preaching the gospel to him. And this is what the word of God says. As Paul talked about righteousness 
self-control, and the judgment to come. Listen to this, church. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. If that doesn't sound like the American response to God right now, I don't know what else does. When my life is falling apart, I need God. But when everything is going the way I want, I could care less where he is. When my grandmother's on her deathbed because of cancer, I'm believing for miracles, but when there's no problems in my life, I could care less about Jesus. I'm going to send for God when it's convenient for me and I have a situation that I need fixed. When it's all about me, I'm going to call out to him. But when my neighbor is struggling, oh, I don't know where God is. This is what it's like to be a casual, curious fan of Jesus. And I'm sorry, but we've got to get over this whole positive vibes and good thoughts when tragedy hits. Like positive vibes are only going to get you so far. But when Oprah dies, what's your solution? My heart actually breaks for these type of people because I want to tell you what happens at the end of their life. Jesus says to the lukewarm followers, I spit you out of my mouth. It's actually better for you to be all in for me or all out against me for the, better than to be lukewarm. I'm telling y'all, that's a dangerous place to live your life. And the reality is, is too many Christians in America are right there right now. That's what it sounds like, but I want to show you what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to be a, a curious responder to Jesus. You say yes to Jesus because you went to church and, and you heard a dynamic message and, and the pastor did an altar call and you're like, Jesus, man, you my homeboy. I love you, bro. So you say yes to him. And, and then you leave that service and you go home and Monday happens and Tuesday happens and the reality of life sets in and you begin to realize that you said yes to Jesus, but you start tapping into some of those things that the world has to offer. And, and you're like, well, I'm still going to church every Sunday, but I've still got this secret addiction and I'm still going to church and I'm still not tithing. But and, and I'm kind of comfortable right here. But can I show you what happens? You can only sit here for so long because at some point your pursuit of the world's going to grow here or your desire to get closer to Jesus is going to grow here. And guess what, church? This is a little more uncomfortable. But you're still playing this teeter-totter game. You're like, I want to be a Christian, but I want to go get drunk on Friday night with my girlfriends. But I want to be a Christian, but I want to go sleep around even though I'm not married. I want to be a Christian, but I want to do this. 
And guess what? Just as you climb that step, here's where reality hits. You're either going to go a little bit deeper here or you're trying to go a little bit deeper here. And as your pursuit and desire to love the man named Jesus grows, but your desire to still hold on to the things of the world grows, then your balance gets really screwed up. And then you're like, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do. And then you want to know what happens? Life. And guess what life does? It shakes your ladders. And then you're like, I'm a Christian. But G-Mom's got cancer. And now I'm finding myself here because I'm actually not really sold out for Jesus. I'm just a curious fan of him and it looks like I love him on the outside but on the inside I'm still in love with the world and then what happens is you ask yourself another question do I want to go deeper here or do I want to go deeper here and then you get this far and you realize you haven't stretched and you pull a muscle (laughs) and then when the shaking happens guess what you fall And unfortunately, that's why for far too many people that have a label Christian on their name, maybe even their megachurch pastors that you've seen have a moral failure and collapse because internally that is what they were trying to do. Or maybe it's in your own life. And one tragedy shakes the ladder enough that you realize that the faith that you claim to have actually had no foundation at all. Jesus himself actually says, I want you to be here or I want you to be here. Because this game right here at the end of your life, all I'm doing with you is spitting you out of my mouth. We've got to understand, church, that there's a committed response, there's a curious response, but there's also one more response that we see. And it says, when the unclean spirits saw him. I would call this the condemned response. What are the unclean spirits? Well, these unclean spirits would have been demons. And in this specific chapter, their origin is unknown, but they may have actually been fallen angels. And I find it so interesting that in verse 11, it says, when the unclean spirits saw him, they actually fell down before him and cried out, he is the son of God. Because here's what's interesting about the condemned response. It's not an ignorance to the truth of the gospel or the power that is in the name of Jesus. It's the true rejection to that biblical foundation. It's knowing the truth. It's knowing the power of Jesus. It's knowing the reality of God. It's choosing to live in opposition to it. This isn't just some lukewarm, in the middle ignorance to the gospel, but a direct defiance of it. And as you read in Mark 3, 
This week, you'll realize in verse 29 that Jesus actually calls this sin the unforgivable sin. He says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. This isn't the person that is living in sin and not knowing that it's sin. Like, I want y'all to understand that real quick because that was me. Like, there's a point in your life, if you're truly a committed follower of Jesus, that at some point in your life you were sinning, but you didn't know it was sin. You didn't know right from wrong. And then you were introduced to the truth. And so therefore you had a decision to make. Am I going to say yes to Jesus or am I going to reject him? So this is not the ignorance that somebody doesn't know that what they're doing isn't sin, but it's actually the direct opposition of the gospel. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that, Pastor? It's the conscious and hardened opposition to the truth. Why? Because the Spirit is truth. 1 John 5, 6. It's the conscious and hardened resistance to the truth that will lead a man away from humility and repentance. And without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. And it doesn't take long for us to open our eyes and look at what's happening in our world today to realize that this response is very real. I, I don't know how many of y'all pay attention to uh, pop or secular music. Like, I don't really like to listen to that garbage. Um, but I found it interesting this week there was an artist that uh, was putting out a song that was literally this, Blasphemy Against the Holy Spirit. And uh, the whole premise of his marketing campaign behind it was actually to intentionally mock Christians. He, he went as far as he created a fake letter of admittance that he got accepted into Liberty University's theology department as a student. And, and culture finds this hilarious. And the news outlets were laughing at this agenda. And then he puts this song out. And in the music video, he himself is laying on a cross, being raised up, saying that his comeback is just like the comeback of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something, church? My heart breaks because our children are listening to these people. And parents, I, I love you dearly because I am one and I know that there's struggles in this world. But if you do not know what is on your kid's phone, you are not parenting properly. If you do not know what music they are listening to, you are not parenting properly. You have the authority because you bought that device, so you might as well manage how they're using it. Because if you're not paying attention, can I tell you who is the devil? And he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only agenda. But we've got to understand, church, that this is a very real response. What does this look like? Well, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Woo! 
Like it ain't cold in here anymore, y'all. We just turned the heat up. Did you miss it? Let me read that again. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sin left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. First Peter 4, 3 through 5 tells us, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousels, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But listen to verse 5. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And that's why, church, our response to those who mock us, ridicule us, hate, whatever you want to call it, is always love because we are not the judge. But we can stand firm on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And we can look them in the eyes with love and say, you better be ready because your time of judgment will come. I want to end this morning, but I told you guys last week I was going to start kind of giving a soap overview of how I read this chapter and what jumped out to me based on the message today. And so we can throw that on the screen, Tade. So if you guys want to take a picture, it's probably quicker than trying to write it down. But I want this to be the framework for you as you jump into God's word this week and as you study it for yourself, as you ask God, what scripture are you speaking to me? What observations do I need to make? How can I apply this? Here's what it sounds like. Today we were in Mark 3, 7 through 12. Here's the observation. There are three distinct groups that often surrounded Jesus, the committed, the curious, and the condemned. Here's our application. There are still three distinct responses to Jesus that we see today, but here's the reality of the application. There will only be two responses when he returns. So the application and the question for us is, how am I going to respond to Jesus? And I'm going to end with the prayer in just a moment. But I want to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And those joining online, I want to ask you to do the exact same thing. Because I want to ask a series of questions, and I'm not looking for you to say anything or respond right now in this room, but I do want you to reflect on your life and ask yourself these questions. Which group would you place yourself in in response to Jesus right now? Would you say you're among the committed, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? Not just saying, yes, Lord, with your lips, but saying, I'm all yours with your life. Or maybe you'd say, well, pastor, if I'm honest, I, I think I'm among the curious. I'm interested. 
I, I may have even said yes to Jesus at some point, but there's still things in the world that have a hold of me. And so I'm straddling between two ladders, trying to make a decision. Or my third question, if I'm really honest this morning, is are you among the condemned? You've heard the truth, and yet you continue to live in sin, determined to resist God and refusing to follow him. Because I want everyone to hear this. Here's the truth. There will come a day when there's only two responses left. The committed or the condemned. Your time for curiosity will be over. For some, it's sooner than you think. You will either be saved or tormented forever. And I don't say that to scare you, but I want to boldly ask you today. What choice do you need to make? And what response do you need to live with? Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. We then as workers together with him plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now today is the day of your salvation. Because if we're not careful, we can grow up in an American system called church. And we can actually say yes to Jesus in vain and never actually live in a true committed response to him. So my question for you today is what response do you have? And I want to pray and I want to ask those who are part of the committed response to join me in prayer. Or maybe there's those who today they're saying, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. I want to invite everyone who would say today that my response is that of the committed to pray with me and repeat after me this morning. Father God, today I repent of my sin. I recognize and admit my need for a savior. And I am looking to you. I humbly receive your forgiveness. I surrender my life to you. I submit my will to you. And I confess today, I am committed. Not just as a fan, but as a true follower of you. To serve you, Lord, with all of my life for the rest of my life. And I want to just pray over our house. Father, would you give us the strength and the faith to follow you in every moment? Lord, we desire to be committed to you all the days of our life. And Lord, we, we ask, we repent, we ask for your forgiveness. If there's ever been moments where we've just been lukewarm, and we've played the game, and we've been a fan, but not yet a true follower. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we ask for your forgiveness if we've lived in sin for far too long, and have yet to come to you with a repentant heart. Let today be the day that we repent before you. We come to you, Father, to confess our sin, to surrender our life, and to submit our will to yours. And God, I pray that you would fan the flame of faith in every believer in this room. 
Every single person who is leaving this place or joining online that today would say, I am a committed follower of Jesus. Would you give us the courage and the boldness to not just say it with our lips, but live it with our lives through the great commission that you have called us all to do, to go into this world, to be the church, and to make disciples. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name all of God's children said. Come on, church, all of God's children said. Amen. Amen. Amen.